we are continuing our slow trek through the 23rd Psalm in the midst of this pandemic. And the reason that we're doing so is because it is a, a particularly timely word. It's a word of, of confidence and of comfort, just the kind of word we need when walking through the valley of the shadow of death. I came across the words of one historian this week about this particular psalm. He said, it has sung courage to the army of the disappointed. It has poured balm and consolation into the hearts of the sick, of captives in dungeons, of widows and their pinching grief, of orphans and their loneliness. Dying soldiers have died easier as it was read to them. Ghastly hospitals have been illuminated. It has visited the prisoner and broken his chains. And like Peter's angel, led them forth in imagination and sung them back home to home again. It has made the dying Christian slave freer than his master. This and, and more could be said about the the 23rd Psalm, it is a psalm of courage, of balm, of comfort, of light, of freedom. And so we do well in the midst of this pandemic to expound it, to meditate on it, to commit it to memory during this season of darkness and difficulty. If you want to take out your copy of scripture and open to the 23rd Psalm now, we will read it in its entirety, but we are going to still focus on the first verse, the latter half of the first verse. Hear now God's word. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Father, no doubt many who are watching this now are weighed down with fears and anxiety and worry. There's so much uncertainty for us and what even the, the near future holds, which of course is, is not abnormal. That's something that's always true, but we are feeling it acutely in this time. And so would you open the hearts of your people now? Would you move past the barriers that we have all set up in our hearts? Would you tear down our defenses? And would you speak this word of comfort directly to our hearts that we might not only feel our need and dependence, but also 
come to rely on you more and more and more in trust and in confidence. That we might know that you are our shepherd and because of that, we shall not want. I pray now in Jesus' name, amen. Well, a little while ago, I came across a letter written by Benjamin Franklin to his daughter wherein he he protested the choice of the bald eagle as the kind of uh, symbolic animal chosen to represent the United States. Uh, his reason was that he, he didn't think the, the bald eagle to be a very respectable bird. He wrote to his daughter in the letter, he said, For my own part, I wish the bald eagle had not been chosen as the representative of our country. He is a bird of bad moral character. He does not get his living honestly. You may have seen him perched on some dead tree near the river where, too lazy to fish for himself, he watches the labor of the fishing hawk. And when that diligent bird has at length taken a fish and is bearing it to his nest for the support of his mate and young ones, the bald eagle pursues him and takes it from him. So you see, he's saying that the bald eagle is a, is a lazy thief. So he didn't think it worthy as a kind of national symbol chosen to represent the United States. Instead, he commended the turkey. He, uh, he went on to write that the turkey is, in comparison, a much more respectable bird. And with all a true original native of America, he is besides, though little vain and silly, a bird of courage and would not hesitate to, it, to attack a grenadier of British guards who should presume to invade his farmyard with a red coat on. So you see, the turkey then is more virtuous. It's more honest, even a brave bird, one that Franklin thought would better represent the American people. And of course, um, America isn't alone. One of the things that Franklin's um, letter illustrates is, is that nations are often concerned about choosing a specific kind of animal as their, their national symbol. Uh, many nations have chosen one kind of animal or another to try to communicate something that they value about themselves as a country. Uh, sometimes nations will even choose a, an animal that they think will strike fear into the hearts of other nations. Uh, for example, many nations have chosen the lion from England to Ethiopia, even Luxembourg to Liberia. Uh, countries like Bangladesh and South Korea have chosen the tiger. Russia has chosen the bear. Egypt and Germany have chosen the, the golden eagle. As you know, America has chosen the bald eagle. But, you know, to my knowledge, no nation has ever chosen a sheep as their national symbol. No nation from the beginning thought, man, when we think of our great nation and the potential of our great nation, we wanna, when we want to show the rest of the nations of the earth how fierce, how industrious, how wise, how noble we really are, we, we think of the sheep. No one has ever done that. And the reason why is because sheep are none of those things. Sheep are humble and helpless, defenseless, and even dense creatures. They have no sense of direction regarding where they're headed. They're easy prey for predators. Uh, they cannot provide for themselves. They are utterly dependent upon a caregiver to provide for them and to protect them. Uh, we actually often call people sheep as an insult and in, in, in kind of relating to their stupidity. And yet there is a people that have 
been given as their sort of symbolic animal, sheep. And of course, that's us, the people of the kingdom of God, the church. It's a kind of motif given throughout many pages of Scripture. And of course, it's found here in the 23rd Psalm. God is pictured as a shepherd and we as the sheep of his pasture. God is pictured as our wise, strong, providing, protecting, and ever-present shepherd. And we are pictured as dependent and defenseless lambs in need of his care. And of course, it's something that's, that's always true of us. That's always true of God's people. We're always dependent upon the Lord. We're always dependent upon his sovereign upholding. We're always dependent upon his care. We always need him to give us life and breath and movement. We always need for him to provide our monetary and material needs. We always need him to give us his gracious provision. But it seems to me as if these times in which we find ourselves in are showing us and will show us something of how needy and dependent we truly are. It's times like these wherein we start feeling so anxious and afraid and we start asking questions like, who is going to take care of me? How am I going to be provided for? What if I get sick? What if I die? What happens to me when I die? And it's not that we all of a sudden become needy or these questions all of a sudden become relevant when a pandemic hits or when economic crisis hits. We're always needy. These kinds of questions are always relevant. But pandemics and plagues, suffering and sickness, adversity and affliction have a way of showing us how needy we really are. And yet, even in the midst of being weak, being dependent, being vulnerable, the truth is, is that if our shepherd is the Lord, then we can face such times without despair, but instead with resilience and confidence. Because while we are dependent and needy creatures, our shepherd has pledged himself and his providing care to us in his son. We can honestly say and confidently say with the psalmist here, I shall not want, I have no lack, I have everything I need, I will not freak out. And that's the phrase that we're unpacking here today, I shall not want. The big idea here is that the Lord's lambs live without lack because he supplies everything they need. And we're going to unpack that by looking at the dependent lambs, the providing Lord, and the well-supplied life. First, we see here the, the dependent lambs. As we've already noted, embedded in this confident confession of David here in verse 1 is the conception of himself as God's lamb. He says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Another way of saying it would be to say, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. I have everything I need. And there's actually a kind of future tense to it. He says, I shall not. I will have everything I need. I will not lack the things that I need, he says. And this confident confession is the sort of natural conclusion of the phrase said before, the Lord is my shepherd. It's, it's the kind of natural inference. You could almost put a therefore 
between the two phrases. The Lord is my shepherd, therefore I shall not want. The Lord being my shepherd means that I have everything I need. And if the Lord is my shepherd, then that must mean that I am his sheep. I am his lamb. I am a sheep of his fold. Now, as we've explored already in the last several weeks, there's a great deal of comfort that comes from this most precious truth. But, but we would be remiss if we didn't recognize that there's not only a word of comfort here, there's also a call too. Uh, the, the reality is that God is not automatically the shepherd of every human being. Uh, of course, in, in a kind of general sense, we might say that God shows his gracious and shepherding care to all uh, creatures of his creation, all humanity, whether they're his covenant lambs or not. Uh, as Paul says in, in uh, Acts 17, 28, quoting a pagan philosopher, he says, in him, in God, we live and move and have our being. Uh, and that's true, whether you're God's sheep, whether you're God's lamb or not. All the time in what uh, theologians call God's common grace. God's common grace is his undeserved kindness that is common and that it's given to all. Uh, in his common grace, God gives food and drink. He gives sunshine and rain. He gives breath and bodily, bodily movement and all these various pleasures that we experience every day as humanity. He, he gives this to his image bearers, whether they're his sheep or not, just simply because he's kind and gracious and chooses to do so. But on the other hand, he has not pledged himself and his provision to every single human being. He has only pledged himself and his gracious provision to his very own covenant lambs. Only his own sheep can lay claim to God as shepherd. Only the Christian can truly call God his shepherd. And, and so before possessing the comfort of knowing God as shepherd comes this call, this call being humble, humble yourself before God as a sheep before its shepherd. Recognize your own helplessness. Recognize your utter dependence upon the Lord. Recognize that you are not wise in and of yourself. Recognize your sinfulness and your waywardness and therefore your need for his grace and guidance. Recognize your weakness and your own need for his strength and protection. Recognize with humility that you are as needy and dependent and dense as sheep. There's no such thing as a self-made Christian, there's no such thing as an independent, self-sustaining, self-reliant Christian. The great physician came only for the sick. The savior came only for the sinner. And likewise, the shepherd only cares for the sheep. And it's only in your foolishness and your weakness that his wisdom and strength is revealed. And Philip Keller was a, was a pastor who who prior uh, to ministry served eight years as a shepherd. And he's well known for writing a book called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And in the book, he, he describes what, what is called a cast sheep. And he writes about it. He says, apparently when a heavy, fat, or long-fleeced sheep lies down comfortably in some little hollow or depression of the ground, he writes, it may roll on its side slightly to stretch out or relax. 
Suddenly the center of gravity in the body shifts so that it turns on its back far enough that its feet no longer touch the ground. The sheep may then feel a sense of panic and start to paw frantically. And frequently this only makes things worse. It rolls over even further. Now it is quite impossible for it to regain its feet. And when this happens, often gases will build up in their bodies and it will cut off circulation to their legs and sometimes the sheep die within just a few hours. The only way for the sheep to be helped is if it recognizes its own helplessness and begins to bleat and call out to the shepherd. Similarly, that's part of the invitation of this psalm for you. It's to recognize your own need. You need God. You need his forgiveness. You need his guidance. You need his protection and provision and shepherding care. And to not only recognize your need, but to call out to him and to trust him and depend on him as a shepherd, as a sheep relies on its shepherd. This is the invitation of the 23rd Psalm, open to all, as long as it's not too far beneath you to receive it. But now we turn from considering the the dependent lamb to the providing Lord. Because we are utterly needy creatures. The, The only way that we can say with confidence then that we shall not want is if our shepherd is the providing Lord. And again, that's, that's the sort of basis upon which David can say with confidence, I shall not want. It's the logical conclusion, the inference he makes based on the statement that the Lord is his shepherd. And if you'll recall the, the time we spent examining the word translated as, as Lord here in Psalm 23.1, it's the covenant name that God has given to his people to call him by the name Yahweh or Jehovah. And it's a name that literally means I am that I am. It's It's a name that communicates the eternal self-sufficiency and plenteousness and abundance of the triune God. We can't say that we are self-sufficient. We can't say that we are without need in and of ourselves. In and of ourselves, we cannot say, I shall not want. But he can. He is the only one who can say in complete self-sufficiency, I shall not want, I need nothing. He alone can say that because he alone is perfectly supplied with every necessity, every perfection, every happiness, every pleasure, every good thing in and of himself within his own being. For eternity past, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been eternally happy and, and, and eternally sufficient as the one true God. And it's from this abundance, it's from this this plenteousness, from this overflowing and ample sufficiency that the Lord has intentionally created us and all that there is in heaven and on earth, that all comes from his abundant hand. And from this abundance, he continues to sustain and uphold the created order. And from this abundance, he redeems and will ultimately restore his people in their salvation from sin and guilt and death. He is the fountain from whom all blessings flow. He is the sun from whom the light of life is given. And thus, everything that his own covenant lambs need, he generously supplies and provides in abundance. He is the providing Lord. And some of our needs are what we might call 
creational needs, they are physiological needs, they are material needs, monetary needs, our, our, our kind of daily bread, as it were. We need oxygen. We need our organs to function. We need clothing. We need food and water. We need sleep. On uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, th- these are found at the very bottom of the pyramid because these are basic things that we need to survive as human beings. And the Lord, in his kindness, has promised to provide and does, therefore, meet these kinds of needs for his sheep. He doesn't give us everything we want. In fact, in order to give us what we need sometimes, he withholds from us what we want. But we can always trust the kindness of his heart and the provision of his hand because he has promised in his word to give us what we truly need. And Paul says regarding air and breath and organs, in Acts 17, 25, God himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. As Jesus says regarding our need for food and clothing in Matthew 6, God feeds the birds of the air and clothes the grass of the field. How will he also then not provide for you who are far more precious to him than grass or birds? Not even a a sparrow falls to the ground without your father in heaven. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows, he says. The psalmist says of sleep in Psalm 27 too, God gives to his beloved sleep. Your your creational physiological needs are generously provided for by God, your father and shepherd. But not only your creational needs, your redemptive needs are met by him too. Not just your material needs, but your your spiritual needs. we, We have all, you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. You have wandered away like a lost sheep, and so you need the forgiveness of sins. Apart from his grace, you are dead in trespasses and sins, and therefore you need to be spiritually raised from the dead so that you can trust in God and follow his shepherding guidance. In other words, you need to be born again. You're, you not only suffer the, under the, the guilt of sin, but you also suffer under its power, which you cannot overcome in and of yourself. And so you need the gradual growth of Christ-likeness that we call sanctification. Your sin has condemned you before God as deserving of death and eternal punishment and the lake of fire apart from his gracious favor. And so you need a righteous man to die in your place and to give you his righteousness so that you might be given the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. You need a sense of significance and purpose. So you need a new identity of being God's child and being being given the family business of the mission of the kingdom of God. You need all of this and more in all of these spiritual provisions and more, I have good news for you, have been provided in Christ. As we read earlier, the apostle Paul says in Ephesians 1, 3, that God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ. That's every spiritual blessing, every single one abounds to you in Christ. There's not one spiritual blessing that God withholds from us in his son. All the spiritual riches that heaven has to give are yours in Christ. God is holding nothing back from you. He is the providing Lord. Everything you need is found in him, the self-sufficient, eternally and infinitely abundant, gracious and generous and all-giving God. Look to him as a sheep 
to its shepherd and he will meet your needs. Which brings us lastly to the well-supplied life. And here simply, I, I, I just want to consider some, some application for how we can begin to confidently say with David, I shall not want. What does it take to be able to say that with confidence? Because if you're anything like me, although you admit your neediness and dependence as a lamb and profess your confidence in the providing Lord, Sometimes you, you kind of feel like, like Peter when he joined the Lord out in the water. You, you begin well, but then you start to look at the wind and the waves instead of the Lord and begin to doubt and to sink. You might in this time be, be tempted to look all around you at all the difficulties and the obstacles and the temptations and the frightening realities of this world, taking your eyes off the Lord and you feel like you're sinking. You don't feel like you can confidently say with David here, I shall not want. So then what, what is needed for us to then gradually grow in what we're calling this, this well-supplied life, to, to grow in, in a life, living a life without lack? First, the, the, the sort of basis, the foundation of a well-supplied, well-supplied life is trust in the Lord. The Lord's lambs live by faith. And it really is that simple. Simply trust the shepherd and you will be enfolded into his flock. Trust the shepherd and you will be his covenant lamb. And if you are his covenant lamb, God has promised to you that he will meet all of your needs. And, and, and just to clarify, your being his covenant lamb does not depend on the, the strength or depth or breadth of your faith. Because whether your trust be weak or strong, your identity as his lamb depends on the strength and the faithfulness of the shepherd, not on the faith of the weak and dependent lamb. That's why even when Peter began to sink because he doubted, the Lord didn't let him drown, but he pulled him up. He still rescued him. He still provided. However weak Peter's faith was, Jesus still gave him what he needed and rescued him. Simply trust the shepherd That is the basis and foundation of a well-supplied life. And in the word next, I would simply say ask. Ask the shepherd. Ask the shepherd. And here, I would encourage you to always bring your your felt needs to the Lord in prayer. If there's something which you feel you need, if there's something you desire, be it physical or emotional or spiritual or whatever, simply ask. Ask. It's not to say you'll always receive what you ask for, since again, sometimes the Lord withholds what we actually want to give us what we actually need. But he is a God who loves to answer a prayer and who exhorts us to bring our needs and desires to him in prayer. James 4.2 says, you have not because you ask not. And so the exhortation is to, to ask. The Lord will provide precisely what you need as his covenant lamb. As Tim Keller once said, that the Lord will answer every single one of your prayers in the exact way you'd want him to if you knew everything he knows. And so we should never hesitate to come before such a gracious and generous God and to simply ask, ask the shepherd. Next, seek. Trust, ask, seek. Seek him, seek 
his will, his ways, his wisdom. Earlier I mentioned Matthew 6, wherein Jesus promised that the Father would always provide food and clothing and the necessities of, of his beloved children. But, but in verse 3, there's also an exhortation tied to that promise. He says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. In other words, seek first conforming your life and your world to the reign of God in Christ. There's, there's no need to be troubled and anxious about many things, as Jesus tells Martha in John 10.41. One thing is necessary, and that is seeking the reign and the will of God in Christ. And if that is your primary pursuit in life, all these other things will be added to you. Your shepherd and your father knows that you need them all. So to live a well-supplied life, simply seek. Next, Talk to yourself. You may have noticed this sort of strange thing that David does throughout Psalm 23. In the, in the first three verses, in, in the last verse of the psalm, he's, he's talking about the Lord to someone. And in verses 4 and 5, he's talking to the Lord in prayer. And so a, a natural question may arise for us when he's talking about the Lord to someone, who is he talking to? He could be talking to his enemies, those who surround him in verse 5, or he could be simply testifying to his readers or his hearers. Good old Baptist or Pentecostal testify, brother. But due to the, the personal and intimate nature of this psalm, I, I don't think that's what he's doing here. I think he's talking to himself. He's He's telling himself the truths and the promises of God in order to rouse and raise his faith and confidence in the Lord. Similar to how the psalmist talks to himself in Psalm 42.5. There the psalmist is feeling anxious and afraid and depressed. And so he begins to talk to himself saying, Why are you cast down, O my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Similarly, it seems here when David is struggling with fear and anxiety, when he's surrounded by enemies, when he's walking through the valley of the shadow of death, he talks to himself in order to raise and rouse his faith and confidence. He prays, of course, but he also talks to himself to, to rouse and to raise his faith and confidence in the Lord. He, begin, he begins to tell himself the, the promises of God. He addresses himself to be reminded that the God of heaven and earth is his shepherd and he will not leave him as an orphan or a lost sheep without care. And sometimes, sometimes when doubt or fear or anxiety begins to creep into your heart, you need to do the same thing. You need to preach the truth to yourself. When you begin to feel that you are all alone in this world, you need to remind yourself that God is with you and that he will never leave you or forsake you. When you begin to feel as if no one is there to take care of you, you need to remind yourself that God is your provider and protector and pilot. When you feel as if your life is headed toward a dead end and that your future is not that bright, you need to remind yourself that the goodness and mercy of God will follow you all the days of your life and that you will dwell in his household forever. 
to truly live a life without lack. Talk to yourself, preach the promises of God to yourself, and be reminded that God is your shepherd and that you therefore shall not want. And now lastly, be content. Because here's the truth. So often when we find ourselves in a state of of want, in a state of wanting, it's a want of our own making. It's a want of discontentment rather than a want of true need. In Philippians 4, 10 through 13, the Apostle Paul rejoices in God's provision for him through the Philippians. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that Now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. And so now they had concern and opportunity, and they sent him a gift, a financial gift that seemed to provide for him just in the nick of time. But then he says something very interesting. He says, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. You see, an essential but often neglected aspect of living a well-supplied life is being content with your lot in life. Whether your lot is lean or lavish, being happily adjusted and satisfied with your circumstances. It's word, that's what the word translated as content means, being happily adjusted to and satisfied with your circumstances, being content. And interestingly, in the, in the Greco-Roman world, contentment was, was an often praised virtue amongst Stoic philosophers as one of the, the chiefest of virtues. Many Stoic philosophers praise the content person as the sort of idyllic human being. As one pastor notes, the the Stoic ideal was a kind of self-contained superman who could rise above it all in independent self-sufficiency and serenity. But notice here that that Paul is not using the word to describe himself as a kind of self-contained superhuman who rises above it all in self-sufficiency and serenity. Instead, he finds the source of his contentment in the all-satisfying sufficiency of Jesus Christ. Or in just the next verse, he says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Sorry, Steph Curry, that's not about playing sports. It's about contentment. And you, Christian, you can be content. You can be satisfied. You can live life without lack. You can live the abundant life. You can live the well-supplied life, and you can do so not merely because Jesus provides you with food and clothing and other necessities, but because he gives you himself, the fountain of all blessings. And in him alone can your soul be abundantly and sufficiently satisfied. So that even if he takes away one of those streams of blessing that you so enjoy, like food or clothing or whatever, you can still be content because he's still the fountain and you still possess him. He is your sufficiency. He is your supply. He is your abundance. So that as long as you have him, you can say with David, I shall not want. My friends, we may be weak, we may be vulnerable, we may be dependent sheep. We are. 
We need not worry about who is going to take care of us. We need not be controlled by worry, by anxiety, by fear. Because if we trust in Christ, we have better reasons not to be afraid. Because the Lord is our shepherd and he has promised to take care of us. Therefore, we shall not want. Let's pray. Father, seal this word upon our hearts and help us, cause us, inspire us, move us to look to Christ with the eyes of our souls and to be satisfied in him so that we can say in any and all circumstances, whether in abundance or in lean times, that we shall not want. Because if we have Christ, we have everything that we need. Cause us to to enter into that state, into that frame of heart and mind and understanding, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in response to hearing God's word, we respond by confessing that we believe it. So confess with me now the words of the Apostles' Creed And in these most uncertain times, we we can be comforted by these words, knowing that while there's so much we don't understand, so much we don't know, our Savior is seated on the throne. He's ascended at the right hand of God, and he will care for us. He is sovereignly upholding us by the word of his power. Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there, he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.
together the words of the Lord's Prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Well, every Sunday we set aside time to pray on behalf of the church and the world. And we're going to do the same this morning. In uh, accordance with our uh, theme of prayer and fasting this last Wednesday, we are going to focus on praying for our governing authorities in the midst of these turbulent times that we're living in. Join me now. Oh God, our King, the governor of the universe, the one and only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of all lords, there is no authority on earth except for that which has been appointed by you. Because of that, you you command us to respect our governing authorities, whether or not we agree with them always, whether or not we always agree with their decisions, you command us to respect them. And so we we do that now by praying for them. And help us to continue to pray for them, not to be constantly entertaining conspiracy theories, not not to be always criticizing But help us, even more so, to be people who are on our knees praying for them, that they would be 
wise and just in all their dealings. And so we lift up our governing authorities to you now. We lift up Mayor Nan Whaley as she is seeking to lead and, and guide our city in the midst of these turbulent times for uh, the the uh, city council. Uh, we pray for them as well and that you would help them to all have wise, um, thoughtful processes by which they make decisions. Would you, would you work through them to guide this city into a time of flourishing and would you cause them to be just in their dealings? We pray the same for, for Governor DeWine as he has some difficult decisions to make in the coming days and, and weeks. And as they roll out this plan, um, Lord willing, tomorrow to begin to reopen the state, um, Lord, we, we pray that, uh, that they would handle things in a manner uh, that is uh, consistent with your care for humanity and your care particularly for your people. And we pray that as they begin reopening the state, that, uh, that citizens would um, be gladly submissive to their instructions and that, um, that the governor would be uh, wise and just in his dealings and in his decisions. Lord, we pray for our president as he oversees uh, the, the dealings of this country, Lord, and, and we pray that you would give him wisdom and, and humility to um, listen to experts on the subject and to make wise decisions in accordance with their counsel and advice. Lord, we, we pray uh, for this nation, um, and not only this nation, but this world and, and the governing authorities across the world to work in concert with one another and to be wise and just in their dealings. And Lord, we, we pray that all of these governing authorities would serve this people in your fear, recognizing that they govern, yes, but that they govern beneath you and that they've been appointed by you in order to submit to you and do your will in order to protect and preserve life for the glory of your name. We pray these things in the name of Jesus.